0: Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and our favorite app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Go to SeatGeek.com slash BS to start using SeatGeek. They do not sell hats on that website, sadly. Uh, Their hats are awesome. Don't forget to download the free SeatGeek app and a promo code BS. SeatGeek sends you $20 upon your first purchase. Lots of happy SeatGeek customers. I get emails all the time. Thanks for introducing me to SeatGeek. They're awesome. Check it out. Today's episode is also brought to you by NatureBox. And not just because my wife has been a NatureBox customer since 2014. Brian Curtis. Yeah. Uh, Choose from over 100 snacks. Go healthy. Go indulgent. Snack away. They couldn't make it easier for you with their SmartBox guarantee. If you get a snack you don't like, they'll replace it in your next box for free visit naturebox.com slash bs get 50 percent off your first box again approved by my wife uh today's podcast finally brought to you by my new website the ringer don't forget to subscribe to our upcoming newsletter which we're aiming for the first monday in march uh mid-march sorry uh the let's go yeah clear enough for you all right when I think mid-90s West Coast rap, I think Brian Curtis. <laughs> I was a whole player in that, wasn't I? Kind of an underrated part of my resume, really. <laughs> it really was. Uh, editor at large of The Ringer, formerly of Grantland, formerly of The Daily Beast, formerly of Slate, formerly of Play, yeah. which was a very, very, very underrated uh, part of the New York Times magazine.
1: Yeah, kind it was of? a kind of a supplement. Yeah, was yeah it a supplement sweet. thing. Um, a couple of those publications are
0: even still in business. Yeah. It's kind of amazing, right? Play was a little bit of a prototype of, of what I was hoping to do with Grantland. I always thought it should have worked. They had good taste in writers. They yeah, never really knew what it was or why it existed, but the writing was really good. Whole financial crisis. Yeah, that kinda, didn't help. Kind of came right on top of our heads. Yeah, that, that was help. fun. So uh, you know more about uh, the ins and outs of the media than anyone I know. You oh, enjoy no. the whole culture more than... Even I do, and I love it. And we always talk about in the office, you start. when did you start? Like four or five weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. It's been great to have you. Thank you very I much. I like having you in the meetings and We stuff. Uh,
1: we derail a meeting by a little uh, sports journalism <laughs> chatter, don't <laughs> we? We totally like do. every day.
0: We've had a lot to talk about lately. <laughs> we sure have. Woo. But we have, we're taping this on a Tuesday, and uh big Tuesday is tonight. And it's hard to watch these political shows without comparing them to sports media shows. Yeah. And especially like you know, CNN will have these shows. There'll be nine people at two separate tables <laughs> yeah, with the host studios. wandering between. Right. Just, it's almost like Hollywood Squares just put them all three faces on top of each other. When you watch this stuff, are they, doing, are they doing media better or worse than sports media? I think they're trying to solve the essential question of 2016, which is
1: how do you do a studio show anymore? Yeah. when Everybody already knows all the information. I and have there's... a lot
0: of thoughts on this, by the way. We'll Keep going. <laughs> okay.
1: yeah. But like when all the better info and analysis is on Twitter... Yeah. Instantly. Uh, when you can follow the returns on, on your laptop or on your device or whatever. And what are people going to say? What are they going to tell us that's new? You know, and punditry, I think, on both sports and politics has kind of lost its thing, right? Like like insta punditry. Yes. You know, like, okay, Hillary's in the lead, twenty five percent of the returns are in. There's just nothing to say that's interesting. Maybe there's a joke to crack on Twitter, but you
0: know, so and so an advisor to the Rubio camp, what are they gonna say?
1: On the CNN show.
0: So, you don't think with stuff like the Trump, like coming out of a debate, I feel like those shows are pretty valuable because I want to know, like, I know what I thought when I watched the debate. Now we're following Twitter, we're getting other people's opinions, but I do like to hear from people. Yeah, winners um, losers. Here's what I thought happened. Here was the most important part of that. And sometimes it'll be different than how I saw it. So I do like that part, right? Yeah.
1: And and the funny part is, though, I think they're wrong because I think it's really hard, right? Like the other day, we thought Rubio and Cruz kind of crushed Trump at that debate or at least yeah. changed the narrative, right? So-called. so, so called. And then the polls came out and a lot of people thought that Trump won the debate and Trump's polls <laughs> really didn't move, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it is funny. Like, I think there is a value. I think it's better when you have, a uh, like, a sports show, when you have a winner's-loser's clock on it, right? You can tell me who won, who lost tonight. What's Rubio's path forward? What's Bernie Sanders' path forward? Does he have one?
0: But they are really the same thing. Well, when I watch—so Barkley, I think, has the gravitas. Yeah. And Kenny, to a lesser degree, but really Barkley. And you're coming out of a big game, and there's been a lot of moments. I remember writing about this, I'm going to say in, like— 2010 or, or maybe 2010 lebron's last game five against boston the whole the last home game he played in cleveland okay boston wins the series and lebron lebron is like curiously passive and just didn't seem like he had that urgency and i watched that game and i was so upset as i watched it just as a basketball fan even though even though i love the celtics i wrote a whole piece about it that week as like just being torn between i love basketball But I also love the Celtics. This is great for the Celtics. This is bad for basketball, that he's reacting this way. But I'm watching the end of that game, and I'm thinking, I can't wait to hear what Barkley says about this. Yeah. Like, I want to know if Barkley, as a great player, he's in the great player club, which we've talked about before, Is he disappointed as a great player that LeBron reacted this way? Who is like that in politics? Is there that person who has that kind of gravitas? Who can emote for you, right? Yeah, just that like, I, I only care what this person thinks.
1: See, I don't think there is because I don't think they can take sides in the same way. True. Right? Somebody can't come on and just you know maybe this is on a Fox News or something, but somebody can't come on and just cream Hillary Clinton. And go, I'm so disappointed in her. That was just rot. Because you and wouldn't terrible. trust you wouldn't trust that opinion. Yeah, and the network, the producers in the air going, woo, too far. Bring on the pro Hillary person to balance us out, right? Whereas Barkley, I think what we like about the Barkley thing on political TV is the loose cannon. Like when Chris Matthews comes on him MSNBC, I kind of perk up a little bit because I'm kind of like, woo, what's he gonna say? He could <laughs> yeah, say yeah, he yeah. could get fired today, right? He could say something so PC that totally gets him fired, you know. And I don't think he's like a, you know, just like a generational talent. But I'm I kind of perk up because I don't like I don't know what he's going to say.
0: That was my attitude during the two drafts that I did for ESPN. Yeah, I just wanted people can't. to be like, "Wow, he might get fired at any moment." As <laughs> it turns out, I, I eventually I didn't technically get fired, but I I had to leave. Right. Um. But uh, you know, doing a studio show. I, I put so much thought into it. It was such a discouraging experience to do the ESPN show for those two years. And the the biggest thing I learned is that if it's a pregame show that works for football, because hmm. in football, you're trying to get information. I'm trying to make picks. I want to gamble. I got fantasy. I'm, I'm trying to learn things. There's nowhere to go in basketball. Yeah. It's like, oh, the Warriors and OKC are playing tonight. So what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think they have to do this. and. You're not saying anything. You're, you don't have any weight. The weight comes after the game. Right, right. That's when it matters. In our situation, when I did Countdown for two years, was we were basically a pregame show. And Barkley show is a postgame show. Right. And the postgame show is where you want to be. Yeah. We, would, we would be on location for these playoff games, and we'd have, you know, the game would end. They'd throw it right to Sports Center. They'd come back to us for three minutes. You'd have to race to make your 42nd point. But it wasn't, you weren't, like, digesting the game. Yeah. And I think that's the advantage that people don't realize that TNT has other than the fact that Barkley is the best studio guy of all time.
1: And that was a genius, right? It's just to never pull the plug on the show. Right. It's a postgame show that turns into a late night show. Yeah. And you just kind of roll with it. It's on, on in the background, even if you're not really paying attention. right? And they you, don't
0: overproduce it. Yeah. You know, and Barkley, we've talked about this privately where Barkley just said the first time he did that show, it was very produced, very structured. And he was just like, can we get rid of all that? I I don't want to know what the other guys say. And now they're very careful about, um, I don't want to know what you're saying. Don't tell me, don't tip me (laughs) off. Ernie's the best at that. You need a host that's just super comfortable with being able to ad lib roll, kind of knowing to move in and out, kind of knowing to nudge people a certain way. And that's why he's the best, but it's not overly polished. Right. Right. Like some of the pregame hosts are, we're in this segment, we're out of the segment, who can kind of let it breathe a little bit. And that was, you know, that was my most discouraging thing about doing Countdown for two years was how how overproduced it was and how just because that's the ESPN DNA, which is just like everything's got to go from here to here to here and set this up. And we have this rolled package that we did and you got to do. So when you bring up that you know, you're going to throw it to the greatest power of of all time because we spent two days working on this pre-produced package. Now we cut away and now here's this graphic. And it was almost like doing a play <laughs> and we would rehearse. We'd basically rehearse the whole show before we went on TV. I knew what everyone else was going to say. The setups were made in a way that they knew what I was going to say. And it wasn't it wasn't, like, freeform. That's why the draft was so much fun. The draft is like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. Right. And this is how both kinds of TV have changed, by the way. We used to want
1: slickness, I think. Or that yeah. was what was rewarded by media critics in the, in the newspapers like right. when we were youngins. Now I think it's we want people that know stuff, you know, yeah. to have opinions, have, like, informed opinions that really know stuff. Like, we want the kind of shaggy expert. In political terms, this is why Chuck Todd replaces David Gregory. Chuck Todd doesn't look like a TV person, but we think we Twitter people and people who follow politics think Chuck Todd knows stuff.
0: And he's it. a very good interviewer. Yeah, he I is think. Really I good. think his questions are excellent. We, I've been watching Meet the Press a lot these last few weeks. He's good questions. Yeah, which he's learned. Yeah. I mean, he used to be the kind of guy on TV in the morning when
1: I think he was at Hotline on C-SPAN, you know, like, oh, that guy, you know, and yeah, then he had the goatee and, you know. Right. But he's kind card. of the new generation to me of, of that, right? He's the kind of, slightly, you know, not quite as
0: telegenic, but he knows stuff. Right. And he's, you know, I, I was watching on Sunday and Cruz, he's doing the whole mafia ties thing with Trump. And he throws that out and then he moved, you know, he's, he's just kind of throwing it out there, but not backing up. Yeah. And Todd interrupted him. And he's like, well, wait a second. You can't <laughs> throw that out. Like, what's your evidence? And then Cruz had to answer and he did answer it. He had answers. So that was but good. It was good, but it, it was refreshing to see somebody be like, oh, wait, hold on a second. You just said, you just kind of insinuated he had mafia ties. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's been an amazing week, right? With uh, Rubio insinuating that Trump peed his pants at the debate. That was yeah. kind of a landmark moment in politics, right? <laughs> I also thought of this another way. It's kind of like sports is that we want it politics to be a battle to the death, right? The fate of the country is at stake. We want you to compete, Rubio. Why are you yeah. letting Trump insult you? You go out there and show him. And then when they do, when they get into Berserker mode. Um, it's kind of like Richard Sherman, Aaron Andrews. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, this yeah. is what it's like. Oh wait! Yeah. And we, as media, we recoil. Uh oh. Oh, they mean it now. You know, and oh, but you're supposed to be polite. We want you to really compete. Like your life's
0: on the line. But we also want you to be really polite. You know, politeness is important to us too. I thought that was kind of funny. Why do you think somebody would want to host a debate? I think that's one of the all-time <laughs> no-end jobs, uh, Mr. Trump. Please, Mr. Trump. Please, please, Mr. <laughs> Trump. Please. Your time's up, please. It seems like totally you just, you just, like, everyone who does it comes off terribly. And John Dickerson
1: of C- C- CBS, have you seen him? Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of the star of this cycle. Yeah. He's, he's gotten the laudatory the... profiles, and he comes from print, which I think makes print people happy. Yeah. You know, like he wrote for Time, he wrote for Slate. Oh, he's a smart yeah. guy. You know, yeah. and I know John a little bit, and he is a smart guy. But Journalist it's just, DNA. Yeah, I just don't, I've never seen a debate where I thought the moderator did a very good job. I think, I think it's a no-win job. No. It's like doing the pre-game studio shows, especially with Trump. What yeah. do you do? Like, what? What's? How do you keep Donald Trump in line? How do you get Donald Trump to answer a question rather than kind of bullshitting you for, you know, five minutes and then going on to the next thing?
0: It is the the biggest problem for me with political media, and this is why I read. You almost have to read through a lens, right? All right, what's your objective with this piece? It's a little like what sports media used to be like. Yeah kind of before the internet started, comp- I mean, I have columns, 2001, 02, 03, where, you know, part of writing a column was to go over the top with the angle. You know, it's like, I remember writing columns about Manning and the Colts, where it wasn't balanced. It was just like, this guy's a choke artist. And then eventually, as the internet rolls along, you would be like, yeah, you, you got to balance that a little bit better. I think the advanced metrics stuff kind of really helped. Sure. That's um, another way,
1: by the way. The, the intrusion of
0: advanced metrics into politics, right? Nate yeah. Silver
1: changed yeah. the whole game, right? You know, storylines that were totally fake uh, got blown up all yep. of a sudden because Nate could be like, "Actually, the polls didn't change at all. There was no Rubio comeback, <laughs> right? You right. know, it's it's this, actually the polls between this week and this week didn't change at all. I think it, it totally affected what a lot of old school writers were doing and kind of getting by with. Yeah, Nate a had time. a
0: huge 2012 victory lap. What's interesting this time around is he was dead wrong about Trump, like right. he. And I like Nate, and you know we've had a very good relationship over the years, but he just misread it completely. And most of his pieces were like, don't worry, Trump's going to fade once guys drop out of the race. It's, and then it's like, no, actually, he's not fading. And when he was challenged in 2012 by the conservatives
1: saying, your polls are wrong, Romney's going to really win, all the lefties rushed to Nate's side. And now the, all the lefties are enjoying Nate take a bath on Trump, by the way, on yeah. Twitter. That's kind of a funny Funny byproduct this like, I guess, because he's now in his third cycle and it's OK to, you know,
0: he's too popular. Right. Or we're going to poke at him. And he was wrong about Trump, you know. And But as our friend Charlie Pierce said, he's like, look, this kind of election has not happened since <laughs> 1896. No. I can't even remember the guy, Brian. Uh, William Jennings Bryan. Yeah, <laughs> William Jennings Bryan. He's like, not since Williams Jennings Bryan has it, has it been this chaotic. And I was like, okay, I trust you, Charlie Pierce. Uh, and well, I also think it's like there's no connection between knowing
1: what's going to happen in the election and being a good reporter, right? No. Like, did you know the Warriors are going to win at the beginning of the season, and win the title last year? Does that make you? If you didn't, does that make you a bad basketball writer? Well, last you year I've seen the Warriors. Last year I
0: bet on the Warriors. Okay, whoops. but this but this year, no, 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 but hold you on. Had good odds, right? A good odds. <laughs> thought they were, thought Steve Kerr, but this year. Um, I thought the Rockets would win the most games in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be wrong a lot. Does that make you a bad basketball writer? Yeah, I think it does. Actually, <laughs> I know Tate looks down on you're me. Willing for to it. endorse that?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's seriously, he's over there.
0: I backed I backed the worst chemistry team ever. Saying the
1: Warriors are going to cruise to a second title isn't really very fun. That's not a very fun column to write. Saying so and so team's going to win the regular season and then lose to the Warriors, but that's kind of more fun. I think that's with politics too. The ang- an angle saying. This Trump thing is fake, you know. It, 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 you know, Rubio's going to win. Don't ignore the noise. Like that's a much more fun column in a way to write. It seems, makes you seem smarter.
0: Well, and the the cousin of that is you're better off doing something like that. You're better off. The worst thing you can do is take the favorite. You know, like for instance, Sal and I really liked uh like the Broncos as the underdogs in the Super Bowl. And I was like, I'm taking the points. But in the last second, I was like, I'm, I'm going to pick Cam to win in the last minute. What I should have done is said, the Broncos are going to destroy the Panthers. You just go out on a limb. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what, what, a one in five, one in six chance? But if you're right, you look like a genius. Yeah. You and, know? And political writers like sports writers
1: only tell you about the, only remind you of the predictions that came true. They forget about the uh, the nine out of 10 that they missed. Oh, Totally. Right? By the way, this is another thing. You mentioned Super Bowl. The Cam. Jeb Bush, uh, political writers got really excited when Jeb Bush said after South Carolina to give his classy uh, you know, speech to get out of the race. Or Marco Rubio after uh, New Hampshire said, I ate it in that debate. It was my fault. It'll never happen again. And in a way, Media that's, loves that. that's the concession speech they wanted Cam Newton to give after the Super Bowl. Sports writers wanted Cam to give, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, we value, you know, when you're a loser, coming out and being classy and really owning it. You know, if Marco had said, I didn't do anything wrong, I finished fifth in New Hampshire, but it's the media's fault. Like, you know, we would have we would have piled on him just like we piled on Cam.
0: Well, in sports, you also have the people that butter up the media correctly are always treated more fairly. And this is something you and this is a little game that you and I love, like who (laughs) butters up the big the big ticket reporters and all that stuff. And so like the Peyton Manning thing easy to see who his sources are right oh yeah. anytime something's happened to him he's Schefter has information on something the next day Schefter's the most wired in NFL reporter him and Jim Nance had the same agent Mm. um Chris Martinson who's now recovering from uh from cancer but back in the day like that was somebody Peyton went to and he just had all these different people so when something bad happens to Peyton Manning like this whole uh HGH thing it's it's like a race to poo poo it and throw it aside and and let's let's
1: slow down here,
0: right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I actually think Brady has made a mistake over the years not kind of throwing little morsels to those guys because he, when Deflate Gate happened, those people weren't covering covering up for him like that. Yeah,
1: he doesn't have a guy in the same way. Does he doesn't. He? he doesn't. He has a couple of local guys, but not. I remember Peter King guys. would get like the one annual interview with Brady and he'd have to do it around the charity. And it would kind of be there would be a charity plug. Right. right. Like best buddies. I can't remember what the name of his charity was. But that was the way Peter got Tom Brady. And that's how you know a guy's kinda of cut off, right? Like even there's not even a bat
0: phone uh to be oh, yeah. king. And Manning's the opposite. Manning works that really well. I think Mickelson works stuff well. Like there's people oh, out there yeah, that a, they know how to play the game. Yeah, you know. And in basketball, LeBron has all his people. Yeah. You know? He's he's got I mean, we know who they are. Uh <laughs> But that's that's how he does it, and like right now is a situation where somebody could write a a really damaging piece about LeBron, just what what a huge mistake he's made and how he's screwed, because the Warriors, somebody in the West is winning the title this year. LeBron's not winning with that team, right? Now that's a year later. It's like he might have really botched this whole thing, and he will never win a title again, potentially.
1: Yeah, and it's only certain writers that would write it. You know, because then you're torching the bridge, right? You know, right, then LeBron's, you. you're cut off. The uh, It's kind of the weird thing when everybody becomes this insider, right? Because the whole insider thing relies on access to some degree. Yeah. And if you don't know stuff, you're not an insider anymore. What's the point? You're not you're not getting by on your literary chops, right? You're kind of getting
0: by on tweets and information and knowing stuff. I noticed when I started doing Countdown that first year, the way the stars and the people around them um, interacted with me was completely different. <laughs> I had I had a lot more clout. You on TV? Yeah, just being on that show and being, you know, I was basically the white guy on that show. It was like, oh, the white guy from Countdown. Like that's who I was. <laughs> I was with Magic and Jalen and Wilbon. It's like, oh, the white guy, and with you know, name the star. I had a little more sway. It was like, I had weird, a weird credibility. What was my credibility? It wasn't changed from the year before. Right. And there was, but I had a platform and that, so they've really, like, oh, we gotta, there's that guy. We gotta manage him a little bit. And there are probably
1: fewer people watching you on TV than
0: reading your Twitter feed, right? Like you hit. You oh know, yeah.
1: But they don't, but we're still in this old media world. By the way, new power today on television is power in sports writing is the ability to read your BlackBerry on television. If you're shown as yeah. an insider reading your BlackBerry on camera, which is the worst TV of all time, that means you're truly powerful. Like only a few guys, Schefter, Woj, you know, there's a handful of people that can kind of do that on TV. When
0: I see that, I go, oh, that guy, that guy's got some juice. He's so wired in. He he's on live TV <laughs> and, Can't be bothered. Did, and this BlackBerry is more important. Yeah, Stuff's he, happening. I was like, hey, guys, sorry.
1: He can't be bothered by the cameras, right? He's get there, but be news breaking, blowing up his uh,
0: BlackBerry at the same moment. That's a good move for young reporters. <laughs> Should be <laughs> to uh, when they're like, oh, like Haberstro. I love Haberstro. Yeah, when he goes on Mike, Mike, he's just like, hold on, guys, and just or the Rachel Nichols show, right? Oh yeah, he's <laughs> gotta kind of be looking
1: down. You know, Rachel's asking quick, kind of like, what? Look up. <laughs> Did you guys <ask> me something? <laughs> Wait, what just happened? By the way, the lines about around these athletes are so defined now that when Woody Page breaks a Peyton Manning scoop or alleged scoop this week you know he said he was retiring we all go uh never mind oh woody page oh he's not he's not one of the guys
0: but so isn't that he's that, in denver but yeah what does he know that's the move though if you if you're basically betting that Manny's going to retire right i think we all thought Manny was going to retire why not write the column and say two sources say <laughs> i'm not in. saying he didn't have the sources but that's a great move for somebody Sure. i found out peyton manning's retiring <laughs> and if he's wrong all right you look like a jackass right. so what everybody will forget. Nobody I forget. thought Stephen A did that and I made fun of him uh, during the decision with LeBron. When he was, he threw out the Miami thing like eight, nine days before. And I think I wrote in a column if this happens, I'll change my byline to William, William J. Simmons for the the column after the Miami. And, the, and if you look in ESPN, the column I wrote after he said he was going to Miami, my byline's William J. Simmons. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's but, funny. Uh, but yeah, he's, I mean, he was right. I don't, did he, did he 100% know or did he have an inkling and throw it out so he'd look right? Chris shared and did it with uh, Decision When take. LeBron went back to Cleveland, Yep, he was adamant he was going back.
1: Yeah. And, um, the, and then when he got it, no one wanted to give him credit for the scoop. There was this fight over who really got the scoop. It's that, also unfalsifiable, right? And you were talking about the Woj thing about Durant to the Warriors and the Warriors are looking at Durant. If they sign Durant, terrible. Woj is, is right, right? Yep. If they don't sign Durant, he can say, you know, and, and maybe truthfully, I mean, you know, oh well, they looked at it and it didn't work, or he was felt, you know, obliged to go back to Oklahoma City, whatever. Well, how do we test that this is right? Like, and I'm not saying I even doubt because I don't know. I just have no information to test if that scoop is corrected. I oh, will never know. He can always say, well, he was gonna, you know, the Warriors really wanted him, but now they don't, or the
0: Warriors really wanted, him, but he didn't want to go the Warriors. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Let's hold this thought. We have to. We have to talk about. uh HBO Now, which is the new way to stream all of HBO, every episode of every season of HBO's current television shows, plus the biggest and latest hit movies, they're all on HBO Now. Uh, it's the first time they've done this with a streaming service. You can just get it. You don't need cable. You don't need satellite. No TV package is required. You know what else you get? Every episode of classic HBO shows like Your Enthusiasm, The Wire, Eastbound and Down. It's all on there. Showing on HBO Now this month, Fast 7 and San Andreas. You can get your rock daily double. Nice. I like both of those movies. Uh, come on HBO Now later in March, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, Spy, and Pitch Perfect 2. My daughter's movie du jour right now. There you go. She's been watching a lot of that. Come to HBO Now at some point. Maybe this podcast. Who knows? Mm. You never know with HBO Now. Download the HBO Now app on your favorite device and start your free 30-day trial instantly. What we're talking about with Woj and LeBron and just throwing out storylines that may or may not happen, which I think is a smart thing to do in this era of media. I think this started during the decision. Mm. And this is, you know, if the documentary of the decision will never happen because he, it's too embarrassing for ESPN and it's too embarrassing for LeBron. But I think the one thing that happened during that whole lead up to the decision then the decision was people throwing out stuff they heard. And they would do it on Twitter. I've done it. I'm guilty. Hearing that so-and-so is thinking about so-and-so. And this has become a new form of sports reporting. And you saw it this week with Stephen A. Smith. I'm hearing, Ky- I'm hearing Kyrie Irving is unhappy in Cleveland. Okay? I'm hearing he's been unhappy for months. All right? Are you reporting this? Yeah. So where are we with this? Yeah. I mean, it was Stephen A.
1: versus Durant. Was a big moment. In that was terrible. Durant fired back, and then you know it was a Stephen hulk. A. threatened him? Yeah, but it was that was kind of the that was kind of the war of our times, right? The in, the player denying the story, but the ins, you know and saying nobody I know talks to you. You, you. you this is fake. And the insider, in this case Stephen A. saying, Oh no no no, I know. Trust
0: me, I know. Yeah. And we'll come to
1: blows about
0: this. Yeah, I mean it's an old. Co- it w- wasn't just that. It was basically like I have information about you. I hope I don't have to use it. That, that was my insinuation. Ooh, yikes. <laughs> it was like, you better settle down, my friend. Yeah, that because was... I know things about you. I was like, Jesus.
1: The role is old, right? Will McDonough, you know, famously, uh, Peter Vesey, you know, who is the
0: model for Woj and the new guys, I think, in a way. Two of my heroes. Yeah, there you go, right? Will McDonough, especially near the end, got super crusty. And it would just start going after people in a really, really harsh and, like, borderline libelous way. Yeah. And uh, it was... On the one hand, sad to watch, but on the other hand, as a professional wrestling fan, I loved it because <laughs> he was the ultimate heel. What it, well, it was the Lisa Olson thing, which was an absolutely terrible story? <laughs> I was gonna say, but it turned into the Boston Globe versus the Boston Herald, and that's when Will McDonough like kind of lost his mind, right? Like just just throwing like grenades at the Herald staff, and and, and he had, had his guys in the league, right? He had his he dudes, had his man. agendas, he had his guys, but he, he had was his powerful dudes. and
1: people were afraid. And by the way, both Vesey and McDonough, you know, people say, oh, the insider thing is new with all this power. Both of and McDonough were on TV, which at the time was, you know, if you
0: were a sports writer on network TV, that was big. You and know? what McDonough did, this was one of the last great pre-internet journalism moments, was McDonough's role in the craft Parcells, Parcells leaving New England. Yes. And the stories that he wrote that were totally swayed by Parcells and his side of things, and actually him being involved in the story. Like, he genuinely was involved. Yeah. He had information that he withheld. And wasn't sure whether he should say, and then, but but it was. I don't remember a reporter being that involved in the story of somebody who knew before the Super Bowl that he was leaving, and basically told his team that. McDonough knew. I can't remember the whole chain of events, but he had information that was salient that he did not pass on to his readers. Right, and he wrote a big story with that Saturday or Sunday morning of the Super Bowl, which was terrible. I I to me, it's like I love Parcells for saving football in New England and. You know, we're about the team was about to leave. It was going to go to St. Louis or wherever. He, he single handedly created the entire generation that followed Belichick. But he effed us with the Super Bowl. Right. But that story came out the day of that he was halfway out the door. And I, how is that good for the Patriots? We're trying to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Woj uh,
1: had a little did a podcast. I think he had this comment where he was a columnist in New York. In the 90s, late 90s, early aughts. Yeah, the Bergen
0: County record. Right. right. And he's
1: competing with, he wants to be Lupica and Harvey Araton and all those guys, right? Because that's, the old power was the columnist, the local columnist, right? That's how you got famous. That's how you got on the sports reporters. That's how you got book deals. And he sees the world changing and says, oh, wait a second. In this new internet world we live in, the power is going to be in the insider, Yeah. I'm going to go that way,
0: you know, like, and. And he didn't totally want to do that right away because at ESPN.com they were using him as kind of a big picture NBA columnist. Mm -hmm. And he was really good for ESPN.com and they would always bury his stuff and he took it personally and he went to Yahoo. Right. And it was a huge mistake by ESPN in the mid 2000s because Woj was clearly good. Like you go and read his pieces and he was unlike kind of anyone else they had. And he goes, and now he's going the insider route. I've always wondered with him, though, and I know Adrian a little bit. He's a good guy. I've always wondered how he has so much power over all these people who give him stuff. It's a really good question,
1: right? He just <laughs> he just gets all of them. I know. Everybody. Everybody.
0: They just give it to him.
1: Yeah. Somebody who was an NBA writer the other day was saying, like, he would noticed that Woj's the number of columns, you know, where he really goes in on somebody and just destroys them, which he's, you know— does that's part of his quiver had sort of had sort of gone down in the last couple year months yeah. and he's kind of like i took it as a sign that now he's connected to everybody yeah oh like, yeah that now it's complete he's you know, won before it was 60 percent, and then it was seven now it's like kind of 98 percent. and i thought that was really fascinating right like oh oh you know he's <laughs> he's plugged into anybody and to see you know what he does to espn right who would dearly love all those
0: Scoops. He's and he would never work for them again. Yeah, yeah.
1: That he's pulled power away from. You know, they, they they own that in football. They basically own that in baseball. You know, with a couple of exceptions, right? But in, in
0: basketball, no, it's woaj. Here's a very important question, though. Does anyone really care who gets the scoops? Do you care?
1: Um, I compared to to nikki Fink, uh, in in Hollywood. Yeah, we don't know who those executives she are writing about. We don't really even care about the scoops like we care about movies, right? But because she has cast, she cast herself as this person who is against the big bad studio. Yeah. Who is going in and getting that knowledge for you. And that's what the insider has done, right? Like half of these deals, remember the trade deadline? was that last week? I'm losing track of time. Yeah. Nothing happened. Right. Nothing happened at all. And, and we were just, you know, days and days and stuff. And no moves that will probably affect anything in the playoffs happen. But the, this idea that we're behind the curtain. And that there's this big bad death star of the NBA and this one guy or or woman is going in and getting it for us. I think we like I think it's almost a romantic figure now in sports writing. You know, like we we look
0: at that guy and say, That that guy's working for us. He's not working for the man, he's working for us. Yeah, Woj became a cult hero the last couple of years. I remember somebody wrote a piece about just watching him at the draft. <laughs> just watching him at his Blackberry for five hours. It was yeah. like did, did, can you imagine somebody doing that about, like, Dick Young? No, no. You sent me the NBA Finals last year before game
1: one, and I was looking, and Zach Lowe was here. And, of course, Zach's talking to the assistants because he knows everybody. Zach knows everybody. Mark Stein is, is standing on, in front of a TV camera getting ready for a stand-up. That's Steining, right? Yeah. And then there's Woj kind of over on the side. and it And yeah. it was kind like of NBA power in one tab—NBA journalistic power yeah. in one tableau. And I was kind of like, oh wow! And of course, I'm sitting there, nobody's just walking by, nobody knows who I am. But those three guys were kind of the those are the
0: three options, right? The smartest thing we ever told Zach when we hired him was, we're just sending you to stuff, and you don't have to write. Mm-hmm. Just go for the networking. Go go to summer league for a week. You don't have to write one thing. Just go and talk to people, meet people, make connections, get people in your BlackBerry or that, your iPhone, and that's where you go, right? Not games. Games are losers, right? Everybody's there.
1: But the work those people do is at summer league, spring training, if you're in baseball.
0: The last two rounds of the NBA playoffs are good because uh, people are on the court like three, four hours before, and you can there are some people i used to get some good information when i was on countdown those two years just from kind of wandering around an hour before and it's a credential that you're there that means you're powerful yeah i'm on the court you're on the court hey what are you hearing don't you love
1: now when we get the press like the new credential is on twitter you take a picture of the empty court or the empty field from the press box and go my office tonight yeah (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. oh wow you know it's kind of the new (laughs) dateline Right, you don't even need a deadline on your story. It's like my office tonight. There was this great moment during the college the college football playoff games, where Chris Brown, Greenlanders, Chris Brown, yeah, was talking about a play, and one of the guys in the press box goes, "Oh no, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened." I had a great view from the press box, and Chris was watching all twenty-two film. Yeah, <laughs> I was like,
0: pretty sure Chris has a better view than you. I know you're there. But pretty well. Sure- now that they've changed the seats, it doesn't make a ton of sense to try to report. From shitty auxiliary press seating.
1: In the corner. In yeah. The corner of the court or the corner of the uh, football stadium.
0: I remember I was watching um, in San Antonio both years, our set was kind of in the corner. We had a nice, like, big, tall view of the court. Yeah. But underneath us were all the press people. They were all on Tweet Deck the entire time, all of them. <laughs> They're just watching Tweet Deck and occasionally looking up at the game. And I'm like, why are, you know, I, I, there are real reasons to be at the game, but. If I'm at a game, I w- I'm watching the game. I want to. Ever... I want to watch the timeouts and the huddles and people walking on the court during when somebody's shooting free throws. How are people interacting? That's the stuff I watch when I'm at a basketball game.
1: Yeah, and have you ever followed a play-by-play of a game on Twitter? I
0: that, think TweetDeck's the
1: worst. Have you ever? I like, can't handle Looked it. at Twitter and go, I wonder what's, you know did Steph Curry just shoot the ball? Right. And it's always so. It's always so weird. By the way, when I've a couple times, handful times last year, I've been in a press box. They'll make an announcement like "So and so has gone from the game of injury," and then you look at Twitter, and everybody tweets it, and you're like, "Oh, they're working off the PA. They're not working off their eyes. They're working off the PA system." You know, the
0: stuff I like is is if somebody's at a game and they say, "Um, "Weird situation just down the huddle. DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin had to be separated." Yeah. That's the stuff I want to know if you're at the game. That's valuable. Or uh, LeBron James is really frustrated with his team. He won't talk to anyone in the huddle or things like that. Or
1: Draymond Green screaming in the locker room, allegedly Draymond Green, at halftime the other day, right? The Warriors was the Thunder game.
0: Hold on. We we have to take care of business for one second, but hold that thought because I have have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, When you're making an investment... I'm invested in your thought that's about to happen, but when you're making an investment, you want to make sure one thing, that your investment is going to pay off, right? Well, investing in the safety of your home is no different. And you might buy a home at some point
1: Yeah, in way. You live with the
0: in-laws now. I am. At some point, you might be over here. That's right. Might have to invest in the safety of your home. Uh, so let's talk about home security. Researchers from leading universities like Rutgers and UNC Charlotte have proven security systems deter burglars. Talking about a deterrence rate of almost 90%. So, if you're trying to find a system that's right for your home, I have a suggestion Simply Safe Home Security. Uh, they don't only protect your home, they save you hundreds of dollars. No hidden fees, no complicated installations. You get 24 7 professional protection for just $14.99 a month. And you can start or cancel your service at any time. So, go to simplysafebill.com. Save 10%. Once again, simplysafebill.com. You and I both hate the concept of sideline reporters. Yeah, in general, bro- for the most part, we could get rid of them. It's a broken job. Broken job, and yet Lisa Salter's um, broke some news on Saturday night at that Golden State Oklahoma City game.
1: Yeah, and by the way, to be that's clear, pretty neat. To be clear, I blame the producers, not the reporters themselves. I think it's a producers' problem. If you ever talk to producers, I'll say the sideline reporter is an integral part of our broadcast. Okay, we're going to give him or usually her two minutes in a three-hour game. Yeah. Oh, well, how integral is that, right? Like, but on the other yeah. hand, you have
0: Tony Sergusa. So I don't, <laughs> let's find a middle ground. Yeah, he gets thirty minutes of open mic time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Tony Sergus is the. I once compared him to the major d' who keeps coming over to your dinner and stands over the table and interrupting your conversation. Like, all right, guys, all right, good. Yeah, we ordered. Okay. Yeah. All right. You can go now. You're cool. Great. Yeah, we're yeah, good. We're good, Tony. Okay. We're enjoying the dinner. Thanks yeah, very Yeah, it's much. good. No, it's great. Everything's great. Yeah, my steak's awesome. Please go away.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly right. That's a perfect yeah. metaphor. Okay, Tony. All right, cool. Yeah, I want them. I think the thing is, and to my point about being experts, them to be experts on something. You know, yeah. tell them, like, you find a person you like doesn't matter who it is, and they don't have to have some background. Just study and be an expert. Like Todd McShay, I know you, I know you don't watch a ton of college football. He stands on the college he's football excellent. sidelines, yeah. and he's like, I'm just going to tell you about the draft prospects of all these guys. I'm going to do injuries and do all the other sideline stuff that you need to handle, which takes, like, what, a minute a game, two minutes a game? Mm. But I'm going to tell you about the draft stuff. And I've sat in a TV truck and listened to him, and just the stuff he says that doesn't get on the air is fascinating. And it makes the broadcast better because he's going. I just looked at uh, you know the USC linebacker and he did. He's doing this or he's walking really weird. Watch this or this next play. This is going to happen, and he's he was right a lot of the time, and it's just it's just a guy who's like really into football who happens to be standing on the sidelines. Right, and we've never seen that with basketball. No, but why not? Right, it could be. You could just put that guy, put a guy or or woman out there. It's it's a little fast.
0: I guess it's fast. Especially if you have a three man booth, there's just not enough time to talk. I've done a couple three man booth NBA <laughs> games; it flies by. You're like, oh my god, it's the third quarter. I've I feel like I've said two things, but it just it moves.
1: But what if we replace those stupid coach interviews that Greg Popovich has totally exploded for? I hate one? the the coaching with, has been with terrible. With a little though. mini point about the yeah. spot on the floor where you know the Spurs are just killing the other team, right? Or the little the play they've run a hundred times where the guy can sit there and explain it and say, "Here's what I heard." you know, here's what I see when they bring the ball up the floor, talking about this, or here's what I hear them chatter. You know, it's like you need eyes and ears, right? And somebody who really knows the game, and I think that I'd be much more interested in that.
0: My, uh, The thing I've learned about TV from my own experiences with it is most of it is about job preservation. <laughs> you just want everything to look like everything else so nobody can the, – the more you try and the more chances you take – the bigger the chance somebody will go, why'd you do that? We should get somebody else. Yeah. So you just want everything to look like what everything else looks like. The first year we did TV, it was me and Wilbon and Magic and Jalen. And, you know, we just kind of figured out, let's start. Of, we're trying to do like almost a barbershop type thing. And there was a way for it to work, but it couldn't have worked with the way ESPN did the shows because we had to follow these cues mm-hmm. in, instead of just kind of letting us loose. And the, one of the things that used to drive them crazy was if we somehow screwed up heading to a commercial, if it wasn't totally polished enough. And the reality is, if you're watching at home, you don't notice. No. Nobody cares. No. It was like, oh, I, I, a second paused after I finished my read for the... like. Nobody cares. People care if there's chemistry and if they're interested in the discussion. That's it. Yeah. And that's why PTI is so brilliant, because they've created this structure of people aren't hosts but they're within a structure that they have to follow, but not totally. And the bell rings and you can go buy it for 30 seconds. It's the only show like that. Yeah. And they imported the chemistry from a newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Everybody who's worked at the post, said, "Oh, that was what they were doing in the paper. But like, it's funny that everybody who does that show is like, I love Pete, It was the most fun I've ever had doing TV. And yet we won't recreate that with really anything else with TV, <laughs> except for Charles Barkley's TNT show, which is basically the same format. They throw them out, let them go.
1: Right. Which is um, underproduced and, and just people t- actually having a human conversation. Yeah. Commercials are rough because, as you know, that's what you care. You sell. Putting sports on TV is about selling beer. You know, It's not about putting sports on TV.
0: No right. one's doing it. Because well, we would have, we'd have a halftime show. We'd have four people and we'd have three minutes. So especially if you have a host, because any host that does a studio show is going to want to grab 35 seconds at the top to do like a very long before they throw it. Sure. So, But in the first year, we didn't have a host. It's still three minutes. If you make a point, it's about 30 to 50 seconds, right? So if, if magic goes for a minute, now there's two minutes left. And you're listening to the guy, but you're also doing the math in your head. Yeah. And you're thinking like, when the ball comes to me, I'm talking. I'm just getting my point out. I got my Tim Duncan point. I'm plowing ahead with it. Right. And what happens is it's just four people taking turns giving a 45 second speech, and then you go to commercial. And that's not television. It's like three ball hogs. Right. Yeah. It's like all right, you shoot this play. I got next get my play. Shot. I'm gonna shoot. <laughs> yeah. And there's no interaction. And that's why the TNT. I always marvel at it because they they have the long monologues, but they also have the interplay. Yeah. And that's so. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to get the hang of. What you're talking about too is the exact thing the podcast is doing to sports radio.
1: Yeah, and it hasn't kicked in quite all the way yet because podcasting is still relatively new. Yeah, but you listen to sports radio now, and I grew up listening to it. And I know you listen to it, and it's too slick. It's too produced. Uh, there are too many. There are no real interactions. You know, rarely there's not. You know, it's hollow. It feels like it is, and it feels like then you listen to a podcast. You're like, oh, this is like human speech.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. This is how
1: people talk to each other.
0: Yeah, isn't that it's, funny? It's tough to do it's tough to have a good conversation in nine minutes about anything. Yeah. And I think this is something that, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot with the TV show I'm about to do, but also like you watch late night and these guests come out and they well, the audience applauds, guest walks out, shakes hands, sits down, that's forty seconds. Hey, so uh, so what are you doing up to? And then that's another thirty. Now we're going. Now you tell the rehearsed story about. So I heard you were in the Bahamas. Oh God! Because they everything's on the pre-interview. They tell the two, three stories that are going to kill with the 200 people in the studio audience. Right. Show the clip and they're out. The host, it's not a conversation. The host fake laughs. Yeah. I've gotten really obsessed with Jimmy
1: Fallon's fake laugh. By the uh, way, when they're doing the uh, you know the karaoke things or the or the impressions, and he's going. You know, his his mouth is open and his head is shaking. Yeah. know he's not real. Like, he can't find everything that funny. No. And uh, and I can't watch late night anymore because it's too packaged. It's It's funny when I
0: watch because I know Jimmy so well at this point. I've known him since 2002 and I always know when he's real laughing or fake laughing. (laughs) Most of the time he's really laughing. But there's a couple
1: of like, oh. That yeah, was a fake. Sometimes one. there's some
0: filler, right? <laughs> you got to You got to laugh here, right? There That's be... but he's got a great fake laugh. That's one of the things I would buy on eBay is a fake laugh. Ooh. I have. I have no fake. I don't even try to fake laugh. Yeah, I you're just stare blankly. You're and not a fake. Like, a happy... you're not really a fake. Laugher. I can't. I don't know how to fake laugh. I can
1: fill though. You know, if I need two seconds, you, you have courtesy, a good, courtesy
0: laugh. You have a good fake laugh. Yeah, for I've you? got a good one. I
1: think so. Developed um, over
0: the years. Wait, we should talk about uh, the dramatic return to Sports Illustrated by Rick Riley. Whoa. Yeah. The afterlife of Riley. The afterlife of that Riley. That was your joke. I Rick's, stole it from There you here. go. Rick's
1: back. <laughs> he was taking a break from sports writing, and now he's writing the cover of Sports Illustrated. Um, you know, I thought when he walked, uh, I'd love to talk about this sometime, but I thought when he walked, you know, there was this exhaustion with sports writing. And he'd been doing it since he was basically literally in his teens, I think, you know, both at the college paper. He was quickly on the newspapers, LA Times, SI for 100 years. And I always got the sense with with yes, his ESPN run, he just written there. He felt he'd written everything,
0: you know, he didn't want to write anymore. And I think he, they just offered him a lot of money. Yeah. He's like, Oh, I would,
1: I would say yes. If they, if I was, if I felt tapped out and they offered me millions of dollars, I, I
0: think he just, they just made it hard for him to say no. I, there's a lot of recency bias with Rick and he didn't help himself in a lot of different ways, but that guy was a great writer. Absolutely. And, uh, and wrote, especially in the, Late eighty, like the eighty-seven to ninety-six range, wrote some unbelievable pieces. His Greg Norman piece,
1: yeah, uh, the run at SI was incredible.
0: Yeah, he was awesome, and
1: and the way he did that back page column too. You know when it was really going, that's a really hard trick to do. Write for a national audience, do it weekly with a with a magazine lead deadline,
0: and also, eight hundred words. Yeah. I had the eight hundred word column at it initially ESPN magazine it was they were like acting like it was a huge favor to give me this column. Mm-hmm. It was like six hundred and eighty words. <laughs> like I can't even fart in six hundred and eighty words. <laughs>
1: you know yours, then I got them to go to eight
0: hundred, it still wasn't ooh. enough. Twelve twelve fifty was the right length for that column. 800, make- hundred eight hundred you're basically you're doing a riley imitation. Yeah. Big you you have some hard angle, big intro. Um body and and it's just like a formula it's not it wasn't fun for me
1: isn't it funny the titans of print who i'm just like i always just find this funny in this moment we're in right where there's still these guys around that were the biggest guys you know who are now finding their way in new media um when they're divorced from their actual physical newspaper or magazine it feels weird like riley felt right when you open the back page of sports illustrated then you put it on espn.com and it was like huh, something feels off about this. Like something just feels, and I'm, I suspect he felt it too. I mean, I remember talking to the people at SI.com and they said, he one time, they said his column on the internet wasn't as popular as it was in the magazine, weirdly, like to the extent they could measure it. Like wasn't a huge hit on the internet. Because, because it was like, well, you just get too th- short. Yeah, and if you talk to those guys, they also say when they wrote for print, they knew who their audience was like intimately. And then they go on the internet and they're like, it's like jumping in the Pacific Ocean. Who am I writing for? You see, Lupica, you know, just start doing a column for Sports on Earth. Yep. And, I've, and I imagine it's going to, I'm really, I don't think I've read it yet, but it's, I imagine it's going to feel the same way. Like, oh, he felt totally natural in the daily news. That's where he belonged.
0: Well, I think there's a certain art to writing a column that exists on one page of a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to structure it so that it fits that exact length of the paper. The great thing about the internet is there's no length. And when Riley got to ESPN.com, and he was a dick to me coming out of the gate, like just point blank, like he to me in the New York Times, yeah, he just remember that, yeah, pretending like the phone. I asked him
1: about you, and he pretended like the phone hung up.
0: It was just a weird way to play it, and, yeah. and he made it adversarial. And then obviously, I was like, well, I'm not going to help you in any way. And uh, didn't you guys have a podcast? Didn't you eventually have a, a coming? We together? did one podcast that I did as a favor to Skipper and Walsh that I regret, um, just for that. That that was the reason I'm I should have done it. it nice. Yeah, it was like this was a big issue for them because people were making a big issue out of it. And the reality was I didn't do anything. Like Riley came out of that piece and he's basically like, the people write too long on the Internet and I'm going to bring it back to where it should be. And it's like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, who, who are you? You know, the, the world's moving on. There's lots of ways to write about this. But we talked about it since it's fine. I don't have any hard feelings toward him, but he was so condescending about it. It, and I think that really played a huge part with how the internet reacted to him. Mm. Cause he's basically telling all these people, the way you're doing it is wrong. Yeah. Now I'm the adult. I'll show you how it's done. It's like, everyone's like, go that's, to hell. That's Who are weird you? a way to
1: start. Really bad way. Telling everybody that their favorite writers suck.
0: And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that bloggers have no credibility <laughs> and you have to be, I mean, that, that whole generation, um, really was adamant that you had to be in the locker room to have an opinion that mattered. Sure. Sure. I'm not saying they're a hundred percent wrong, but they, they, they devalued the opinion of just if you weren't in the locker room, it's yeah. like that opinion didn't matter. And that's what, that was the mistake. I compare them
1: to what Oscar Robertson was saying the other day. about yeah. Seth Curry. These are the metrics we were judged on. Yeah. Now wait a second. You tell me that three pointers are more valuable. There is a three-point line, right? Yeah. You tell me that three pointers are more valuable. And wait a second, I got paid the big bucks. I got judged by my peers. I got in the best sports stories of the year by doing the old metrics. The world told me those were the metrics. Go into the locker room, write a negative comment, go in there and Facing get reamed the, guy the next day. Scream the next day by yeah. that guy. You know, coming to, you know, almost coming to blows, having to be separated. And and the world changed. So I have a lot of sympathy for that. You know, because yeah. I don't, I don't excuse the sneering attitude toward the web because it's just stupid. But I also have a lot of sympathy because I feel like about Oscar Robertson, I feel like, you know, it was a different world, and of course they're going to lash out, you yep. know, against the new thing.
0: Yeah, with Oscar, he just can't fundamentally understand how somebody could shoot like this, so he just blames the other players. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He it's, it's not, it's not in him to understand it. You know, if if I watch somebody, write. You know, twelve good sports columns a week, with twelve different great angles. I'd be like, "What's going on here? What yeah. is something you, you'd instantly look for a reason that it couldn't be true?" Yeah, and I think that's what happened with him. It's like this guy's. Why is he making all these shots? It's everyone else that they, they should guard him harder. And it's like, <laughs> no, actually, the game's evolved. Yeah. People are good at shooting threes, but I think with uh, with the internet, um, they're not wrong about it's good to be in the locker room. And good to talk to people. The the big difference though in the last fifteen years is what access am I actually getting from the locker room? Right. Basically, and I'm not going to name the NBA teams or the writers, but you know who they are. They're they're freaking extended PR firms for the teams now. Yeah. And you're seeing, you're seeing this over and over again now, where the, the it's very 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 skewed toward the player and the team that the guy is covering. All the coverage you're reading. When's the last time you read a hard piece about anybody? Exactly. And it's like you read it as not journalists
1: shirking their duty to go in the locker room, but as rebelling against the lack of access that they would have gotten had they gone into the locker room, right? Well,
0: you faced this with the OKC piece. Yeah. You wrote a whole piece about how OKC was handling the media. And that was probably Handle, handling is a good word. Handling, yeah, is a, yeah Limiting, I was uh, glad handling. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's you know it's like Durant and Westbrook are, were babies a lot of the times, and Durant I think everyone is, enabled him. He's a huge baby. I mean, it's like
1: finally people. I think the scales are dropping from people's eyes, right? And I think that I think the, people got so upset about your piece, though. I was oh my gosh!
0: The team was furious. It was uh, like, how dare you lift the lift the cape that we've carefully placed <laughs> over this whole situation the that we, yeah, uh, seriously.
1: It was really funny too because all these NBA national NBA typewriters were really cheering me on when I read it. Oh my they god, were like, Oklahoma City's terrible. You know, this is yeah. this is a, a really bad place to do journalism. And as soon as it the uh, piece came out, they would go on national radio shows and they'd get asked about like, oh well, you know, I, you know, I agree with some of what Brian said, but some of it was overstated too. And I was like, okay, cool. Right. You got your access to worry about. I understand, but it was it was pretty funny.
0: They are notoriously the worst. Yeah, um, and it is not are- even a competition. They're yeah. the worst. Everyone hates dealing with OKC. The players are babied. Um, they, it's just like you saw. Like uh, not so coincidentally, after you had that access, there was there was um, a piece about Russell Westbrook on SI with a lot of Russell Westbrook access. Sure. I don't think it was a coincidence.
1: Yeah, I watched him do charity work and everything. Yeah. You know, Here's when Russell they, doing some charity work. I'm sure the OKC reporters would have happily taken that had it been
0: offered him. Funny how that works. It, yeah, I mean, it, let's say you're covering one of those teams. Are you going to write a piece about like really killing Draymond Green for being unprofessional on Saturday night? Yeah. And risk not being able to have any access to him for the rest of this season? No, you'll wait uh, until
1: he's traded or, or retires, and then you'll dump it. This is my new favorite genre. The, the Reggie Jackson. Yeah, that's a good one. Or the but uh, Blatt got some of that the other day, Lamar Casalvich oh, yeah. in Portland. And I call it the
0: Now They Tell Us column. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh. Wouldn't <laughs> this information have been happy for to know when he was playing for the team?
0: Reggie Jackson was a great one. They yeah. trade him in like his body. I don't even think he was on the plane yet and he just got crushed.
1: Yeah. And as I think I wrote in that Oklahoma City thing, you know, it was like he was the one sticking up for the writers. When Westbrook would yell and and, uh, yell at them, you know, he'd bring over the chair and say, here, use my chair. You know, that was telling. (laughs) But he was the
0: bad guy. Okay, great. Gotcha. Um, Where can we go with Steph Curry for media coverage at this point? He's weirdly accessible
1: still. He is. You know, seems like everyone's waiting for the garage door to close. Um, It probably will. He is weirdly, you know, someone wrote a column this weekend saying, it was my buddy Josh in uh, Slate saying, nobody hates Steph Curry. Well, wait, you know, just wait. Yep. You know, and maybe maybe they'll hate him because he's just too good to be true, right? But eventually the media will find something. We'll find an angle on him. Nobody survives forever. Jordan didn't survive forever. LeBron survived five minutes, you know, the
0: decision, right? And probably before that a little bit. It could be, for Steph, it could be what he's going to do with his contract. He's a... Tate when's he free agent next after next season? Yeah, 2017. If the Charlotte stuff starts, ooh yeah, and somebody will start that early. It'll be the same thing like the Durant Warriors thing. You just somebody throws it out there, ESPN takes it and runs with it for 48 hours. It's on every show, and then it becomes a story. And, it, and meanwhile, Steph Curry hasn't done anything.
1: We're still talking about ballplayer loyalty. Yeah, forty years after NBA or MLB free agency, you know, like we're still mad. We still get mad, you know. I
0: think it's in play that he could go to Charlotte. I don't think it's going to happen, but I right. think it's something that at some point he's going to be at dinner with his wife if they went back to back titles, and be like, "Hey, if we went three in a row, would it be weird if I went to Charlotte?" I mean, I personally think you don't leave a great team. I don't. There's nobody has ever done that. Yeah, I don't. People leave bad situations or situations with dead ends. Like Kareem left Milwaukee because. Milwaukee was fading and it wasn't the place to be. Shaq left Orlando because of Penny. And yeah. LeBron left Cleveland because they had mismanaged the team and he saw the writing on the wall and wanted help. And, and he was right. Yeah. And he was right. Nobody leaves a three-time champ. Now, if Durant gets knocked out in round two again. You can say they've topped out, right? He might say. like, "I've He did what he could been in this situation and this team doesn't spend money like the other teams and maybe I need to be in a bigger market like he could talk himself into that yeah I don't see Curry winning three straight titles and being like okay time to go home right right but if they lost a share and they didn't win again next year maybe who knows yeah he's from there his dad was a hero there like he's he could be the biggest guy in the history of that state and probably is already I was gonna say he's playing across 3,000 miles away yeah But this is all a conversation that starting in around August is going to become a conversation because that's how stuff works now. Yeah. Yeah. That could get him to turn on him. I didn't think about that. But that might
1: be the move. That might be the move. All he has
0: to do is say one thing wrong. Yeah. Be like, well, I mean, it's no secret. I love Charlotte. Boom. Yeah. There you go. There's a seven-day media arc. What's he trying to tell us? Yeah. Why do you throw that out? he starts to cut off access a little bit because
1: he's scorned by his first wave of negative media, right? We could drop this. We could drop this scenario.
0: I don't mean to sound like an old crotchety guy, but we, so he came into the podcast with David Lee, I think January, 2013. He was such like a sweet kid. (laughs) He was so happy to be in the podcast. He like, he took a picture of me. He was like, can we get a picture? Like he asked me and David Lee, if we could all take a picture together of us in front of the Grantland sign. He's a big fan of our site. And now he's the biggest star in 20 years. Yeah. It's it's incredible to me. I feel like it was like a week ago when we did that podcast. And now it's like, I can never get him for a podcast.
1: No. But I still think that smile is big, you know, with reporters, right? Yes. We like people who are having fun playing the game. Right. Yeah. Magic. Who don't, who don't frown when they see us come around the locker and do a press gaggle. Right. Yeah. You know, magic. Yeah, exactly. Magic
0: and, was like that his whole career. And that's why he was able to translate that into his... Hugely successful post playing career because yeah. he's genuinely like that.
1: And Durant carried that off for a while, and then he got a little sour. Something happened. You know, to him. People turned, and it he just he got. I don't weird. know what happened to him, but he weird.
0: was he he was such a he was another one. I I don't know where the wheels came off with him. He became jaded somehow, and I don't know why that happened. I think it was just that run of bad luck
1: where he was hurt, where they were losing, where they had yeah. a lot of bad. they were a the hardened trade. You know, there was just a lot of things that happened within like a year, two years time that were out of his, that weren't his fault. Right. He sort of got blamed or
0: got caught up in it, and I think that's when he got defensive. You know, Magic, and then we have to go, but Magic um, was really like that. You know, we we would we would go do a show, and, and you know, it would be some big game coming up, like, uh, I don't know, game six of some series, and he would show up and he'd he'd just have a glow to him. He'd be like, yeah, we're doing it tonight. (laughs) Like, it was 100% genuine. Like, he just loved basketball. Right. One of my favorite things about doing that show was being on that set with him for game six, game seven of Miami-San Antonio, just like the joy he had. Watching that, I think Curry might be wired like that. He yeah. might genuinely love basketball like and that.
1: People who are old enough to remember the 80s NBA, who are old enough to have covered the 80s NBA, yeah. you know, they remember that era where you could go into a locker room and get magic. Or you could get Larry. A little tougher, but you could get Larry. McCallum's
0: book was one of the last times where somebody had that kind of access. Yeah. Unfinished business.
1: Yeah, exactly. He
0: was riding on the bus with them and stuff.
1: (laughs) And if you talk to him about stuff, they'll say that he is, and they say this like they're scared because they know it's going to end eventually. But it's not the Pistons, right? It's not the Jordan Bulls it's a little bit of a link to that glorious past, right? It makes you feel like you're covering, you know, I think all of us that cover sports now wish some level of our being that we covered sports when the athletes were like that. And of course there are all kinds of bad reasons we would have to write newspapers and we couldn't write like we wanted and it was too short and all that stuff. But, you know, I think that's what Steph reminds him of. And I think that's why, you know, 10% of the sweetness of the coverage is, is due to
0: that for sure. Dream organization, too, because very new wave kind of thinking with the owners. Also, that, yes. Everyone, it, this is another great sports media Twitter thing when people start complimenting PR teams of teams. <laughs> it's a combination like this is so inside baseball. I don't know who this is for, but also like stroking the, the PR team. It's so great. My one of my, I know, You should director, do that. You should start tweeting that I out. I will.
1: A sports writer who shall not be named sends me them every time. <laughs> it's usually college teams. It's like, yeah. oh, what a professional sports information director to work with. Great SID. Great Great SID, guy. Great
0: SID at or, Tennessee.
1: Or when they leave their jobs or get fired. They start stumping for them to get a new job because they want access at the you know two conferences over, right? Like, oh, he was great for me at Oklahoma. Maybe if he goes to uh, you
0: know, Virginia, I can get some uh, good stuff over there. It's That's hysterical. one of my favorite sports media tri- uh, tricks when writers start stumping for the open GM job for some assistant on some other team. <laughs> that is obviously one of their sources. It's the long con, right? Yeah, yeah, he's gonna
1: yeah. he's gonna get me in there. He'll, He'll be like, you know,
0: it'd be a great guy to run the Memphis Grizzlies. Brian Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> he do a great job. I've heard his
1: thoughts. And don't you want don't you think like the owner goes, "Oh, if a no famous writer likes him, that's good for us, right?" Maybe this fam- the famous insider, is so powerful and so smart. Like maybe he, maybe he's right. That's what happened with David Griffin. I'm convinced.
0: Okay, there you David go. David Griffin, kind of lingering around. People keep writing how great he'd be, and then all of a sudden he gets hired. It's like, how do we know who's a good GM and who's not? I figure that. I figure that. That seems like a very basketball thing. I don't feel like I see that in the NFL. In football, yeah, not as, as much. much. In football, there. Yeah, fo- football in general is weird. I think that's such a harder sport to do. To yeah. run a team and just everything. All right, we got to go. Uh, thanks to HBO Now. You don't need cable or satellite to watch HBO anymore. Download the HBO Now app. Start your free one month trial today. San Andreas, Fast 7, Pitch Perfect 2. Uh, every episode of Last Week, Tonight, and Ballers, it's all on HBO Now. Download that app ASAP. Thanks to Simply Safe, they'll give you 24 7 award winning protection for just 14 a month. No contracts, no hidden fees. Start or cancel service when it works for you. Uh, For a home security you can trust, go to simplysavebill.com and save 10%. Remember, security systems deter burglars at a rate of 90%. Thanks to SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast and Channel 33. Don't forget to follow The Ringer on Twitter, at Ringer. And don't forget to subscribe to our upcoming newsletter at theringer.com, where Brian Curtis will be writing. I'm excited. Boom. This is going to be great. I'm, I'm so we're, excited. Just, we're so with the. We've had so much fun planning and talking and all kinds of stuff. All of us God. are just so jazzed. Oh, by the way, we should mention you. You might have a media podcast at I, some point. I might have a media podcast. Ooh, good tease. Yeah, yeah. We'll you might that. do that. We're gonna figure that out. Interviews, too. all kinds so, of stuff. We're have we fun. All right. Talk to you soon. We about this bitch. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here. Close your eyes. And picture me rolling.